So here's where we're at this morning. We've been in a series called, Who Does That? And we've been answering this question, that concept, that idea of really? One, did Jesus really say it? And if he said it, am I really supposed to do it? I don't see many other Christians doing it this way. And do I understand it? I'm not sure that I really get it. Is he really asking me and telling me I have to do these things? Because if I have to do these things to make it to heaven, I'm not sure I'm going to make it. Because these are a little odd. And who really loves their enemies? That's tough to do. And I'm not sure I can do that. How do you love your enemies? Turn the other cheek. What does he even mean by that? And am I supposed to really do that? You know, give him your coat as well. These are some things that if we set back and ask the question, we might ask, who really does that? Does somebody really make that happen in their life and follow through with that? Well, we've studied and the question that's come up every week that I've asked you to ponder, and I think Jesus is getting to with this lesson is, what kind of a person do you want to be? And what kind of a life do you want to live? More than a list of rules that we have to follow, more than a list of steps that we have to get to in order to make it to heaven, I think Jesus is trying to teach us a lesson about who we are and how we live. And when something bad or negative happens in your life, do you, do you show and what, what does it come out, out of your heart? Is it bitterness and anger and hate or is it kindness? Is it love? Is it compassion? What happens to you? What kind of a person are you when those things start to happen in your life? Now, none of these make sense if you were to take them out of context. If you were just to look at one of these sentences and what Jesus teaches and don't understand where he's getting them from or the foundation of what they're based on, they don't make sense at all. Uh, it would be like any of us. If we have a conversation and somebody just takes one line or half a sentence out of that and tries to um, pin us down with that, it, you have to get the whole conversation, right? This whole teaching. It's built on a foundation. And if we take that foundation away or we don't have that foundation, then some of those sentences that he says just doesn't make sense. So he's trying to teach us how to live more than he's trying to teach us exactly what to do. So there's a bigger picture with this. So this is where we're at today. Matthew chapter 5. This is part of the Sermon on the Mount. He's given this big sermon um, as a part of an understanding of how Christians should live. Matthew chapter 5, he gets to this section where he's got a couple different lines that make us question. Really? Are we really supposed to do that? Verse 40 is where we're at this morning. This is the one we're looking at. And if anyone would sue you and take your tunic, let him have your cloak as well. So my first question this morning is, how many of you wore your tunics today? Right? Did anybody, has everybody got a tunic on? I want to make sure that we get this right. And what about your cloaks? Do you have a closet full of cloaks at home? Is this, you know, because if we read it just the way it is, and yet you have a different version, maybe it has different words, you're wondering, what is he talking about? I don't have a tunic. I don't get it. Why would somebody want it either? What is this deal that Jesus is getting to? So let's break it down. Let's understand it. A tunic um, during that time period would, would be really an undershirt. For us, what I'm going to um, refer to it as, it would just be your shirt. The shirt off your back. The, the shirt that you're wearing. Um, it would be that understanding. You know, just a shirt that you have on. Now for them, it was a different type of clothing with it. Um, but for us and our understanding of where Jesus is at, it's the shirt off your back. And your cloak would be pretty close to, it would be your coat. Something you would wear to keep warm, but it meant something even more to them during this time period. So one would be an inner garment, one would be the outer garment that they would wear. And during this time period, most people would have at least one shirt. 
at least one. And if you were rich, maybe you would have two or three shirts. But that would be it. That would be tops. They didn't have a closet full of clothes like we do where we get a choice and we get to choose all the time. And some of them we don't even wear um, throughout a season. We've had clothes in our closet, you know, for years that we haven't worn. But we might. We might wear that one someday, right? They had just a couple. But they had to be rich in order to have two or three. Most people probably just had one shirt that they wore. And the coat as well, their cloak, really everybody, whether you were rich or not, had one. They'd have one cloak or one outer garment that they would wear. And it was more to them than just a coat. It was something that they used at night. It was um, a covering um, at night when it got cold. So this was pretty important to these people. Now when Jesus is talking about this situation, notice that he said, if you are sued by somebody, meaning if somebody is taking you to court for some reason, this isn't one of those situations where you're walking and somebody jumps out and mugs you. Okay, so let's, let's pretend you're walking down Points Avenue this afternoon in Manhattan, and, and we're pretending, right, because this probably isn't going to happen here in Manhattan, where somebody jumps out and asks for all of your money. And so you hand over your wallet to them. And this isn't Jesus saying, if that happens to you, that you should also give them your car keys and make sure that they have um, your credit card um, PIN number. You know, oh, don't, don't forget, one, two, three, four, that's my PIN number, which is a stupid PIN number, don't do that, um, for your debit card. Don't make, you know, Jesus isn't saying, make sure they have everything of yours if you get robbed like this. That would be ridiculous. And I can understand why people, if they just read this one line of Jesus, think that Christianity is illogical. Why would I want to follow that? That doesn't make any sense. There's no logic behind this teaching. But you got to understand behind it. you got to understand the foundation of what Jesus is getting to for us to get to this. So if someone is taking you to court, if someone is suing you, it probably means something, right? Why would somebody do that? probably means you've done something wrong. Not always, because sometimes you go to court to prove that I did nothing wrong. But the way Jesus is describing it, it probably means you owe them something. You have done something wrong, and therefore they're taking you to court because you haven't paid, and you need to pay up. And there's something that you are holding over with them. So um, he's saying you've got to do that. If someone is suing you, and especially if they're suing you for the shirt off your back, it probably means that you're poor. You probably don't have any fields to give them, any property or land that you can sign over. Um, you probably don't have then the crops that you can give them or a savings account or a retirement that you can draw off of to pay that bill. If they're suing you for the shirt off your back, that's probably because that's all you got. That's all you own. And so Jesus is making a statement saying, if somebody is doing that to you, don't argue. Don't make a scene. Give them the shirt off your back. And then what kind of a person are you supposed to be? What kind of a life do you want to live? Give them something extra as well. Make sure that you are seen as that person that's generous. Now, the early church throughout the New Testament, we can see that they had problems with this within themselves they were not treating each other well, even within the church. They were suing each other back and forth, most likely because they weren't paying up. They weren't giving to each other the way they should. And therefore to say, in order to get anything out of you, I had to take you to court. I've got to sue you just to get you to pay your bills, just to give you what you owe me. 
And Jesus, I think, here is trying to teach us, guys, we've got to be generous. You got, you've got to be able to do this. And if someone is on the outside looking in at the church doing this to each other, they might say, I don't want to be a part of that. Why would I want to be a part of that group? And then it stretched outside the church. And the people within, those that were believers, were actually doing it to the people outside of the church. They weren't paying for what they owed them. And no one then wants to be a part of that. No one wants to say, yeah, sign me up for that. That's what I want. Those people, they're generous. That looks like something I want to be a part of. They were running from it. So Paul writes in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 7, he says, why not? Why not be wronged every once in a while? Why not be cheated? Life isn't fair. It's not going to be fair. And there are times that we're just going to have to do that in order to save a relationship. So if someone is suing you, give it to them and then do a little extra. So here's the difference too. I think we have to understand this in scripture. Um, The law at the time did not allow anybody to keep somebody's coat overnight. So if you let somebody borrow your coat, or in this um, instance, what he said, your cloak, they had to give it back to you by nightfall. It was the law. You couldn't take somebody's outer garment overnight because they needed that. They needed it because it was cold out. They needed it because that was their bedding. That's how they covered up. That's how they kept warm. And it was illegal to take that from somebody. So when Jesus says, give this to them as well, he knows that you're probably going to get that back by the end of the day. So it's a good gesture. It's to say, this is what I owe you. I'm going to give it to you. But I'm going to give you this as well, just to say, no hard feelings. We're all good. Knowing that you're probably going to get that back by the end of the day. I like this. John MacArthur um, theologian, um, author, pastor, he wrote it this way, and I think he did a good job of wrapping all of this up. He says, if a legal judgment is fairly made against us for a certain amount, we should be willing to offer even more in order to show our regret for any wrong that we did and to show that we are not bitter or resentful against the one who has sued us. If someone has taken this that far and we haven't done what we're supposed to, It's a good idea for us to follow up, not only with the payment, but with a little extra to say, hey, we're all good. I just want to make sure you know I'm a generous person. I didn't mean for anything to happen here. No regrets on this. So I have to tell you this story. Um, This was back in my college days. I'm not sure I've told this story here at Crestview ever before. This is before April and I got married. Um, My friends and I, there were two other guys. We were hanging out one evening and we got bored. And so we wanted to go have some fun, just do something for fun. And we were at Manhattan Christian College. So it didn't mean, what it didn't mean was that we were just going to go out and party. That wasn't our thought. That wasn't what we wanted to do. But we wanted to go do something um, and pull a prank somehow. So we went out one night driving around and we went a few miles outside of town and stumbled across a pumpkin farm. This was in the fall. It was after Halloween, but it was before Thanksgiving. So we thought, huh, look at all those pumpkins in this farm. Um, Acres and acres just full of pumpkins. And we thought, we could do something with this. Halloween's over, right? They've already harvested what they're going to harvest out of that. So we decided we would help this guy harvest a few more of his pumpkins. 
Guys, um, do as I say, not as I do, all right, on this story. Any junior high kids getting good ideas out of this, all right? So um, the guy driving the truck dropped two of us off. We jumped into the field, and we threw as many pumpkins as we could into the ditch. He went down, turned around, came back with his truck, and we loaded the back of his truck full of pumpkins. There had to have been 45, 50 pumpkins in the back of his truck. Then we get in, and we're on our way back to town trying to come up with what we're going to do with them. We, we weren't sure how this was going to play out, but we decided that we were going to go to one of our professor's homes. And we went to his house and unloaded all of those pumpkins into his driveway. We didn't break anything. We didn't throw them off the roof. We didn't do anything crazy like that. We just unloaded them all into his driveway. So the next morning when he opened his garage door, there was no way for him to get out. His driveway was packed full of pumpkins. So he had to load them up. He had to move them out of the way. He brought a lot of them in. That was the best part. The next morning at school, um, this professor was handing out pumpkins to everyone. All the teachers, all the faculty, all the staff, right? Pumpkins. Who needs a pumpkin? His neighbors got pumpkins. It was great. And it became a buzz around the school so much that they kept asking and word got out who did it. So he was excited. He called us into his office to find out how we pulled this off. He's like, this is really cool. What'd you guys do? How'd you afford this? You know, where'd you get all these pumpkins from? This is really cool. So we told him the story. Here's the story. We went outside of town. We went to this farm. This is what we did. And he said, now tell me again, where was this farm? And we told him exactly where it was. And his head just dropped. He goes, I know those people. I know those farmers. They work hard for a living. They harvest those pumpkins to make a living. I'm going to have to pay him back for those pumpkins. And we're like, oh, no. That's going to be expensive. And he's a Bible college professor. And we're college students. What are we going to do in this? He ended up calling the guy. I don't think there was any exchange of money. He said, no, don't worry about it. But we did do this. Instead of any payment that was made, the three of us went out one afternoon and worked for an afternoon at this pumpkin farm with this farmer to help him do some things that he couldn't do by himself. And so we did. We went that extra step along with that. So challenge number one, here's my challenge to you. If you have wronged somebody emotionally, physically, monetarily, if you have wronged somebody and you owe somebody, pay. Make that payment. Pay your debts. And then as Jesus teaches, do something extra. Go one more step with that. Give something extra. Seek out forgiveness. Pay for damages. Whatever it is that you have to do that's running through your mind right now to say, I do, I owe that, um, I need to take care of that. Go do it. And then go one more step. It's a thing called generosity. In Psalm chapter 37, verse 21, it says, the wicked borrows but does not repay, but the righteous is generous and they give. It's important. Stingy Christian is a contradiction in terms. We can't be a follower of Christ and be stingy with what he has given us. We have to be generous. And he's teaching us this. And Jesus did it. He was a good example for us. He gave to us beyond what he should have. He was here spiritually to lead us spiritually. But he gave to us in many different ways. Truth in his teaching, grace, forgiveness. Um, even many times he fed people. Jesus was very generous. But you might be sitting here thinking, oh, good. Whew, I don't think I owe anybody anything. So this is an easy lesson for me. I don't have to do anything based on this, right? There's nothing. No, here's my second challenge to you. 
If you don't, if you can't think of anything that you owe to somebody else, then I want you to be generous. My challenge is this, give something extra. Think about what you can do in the next two weeks, between now and Easter. Think of a way that you can give something to somebody. And, and this, this is how I'd like to see it play out for you. Give something extra to somebody to where they say, wow, you didn't have to do that. And you can respond by saying, yeah, I know. I know I don't have to. But can you be generous? Can you give to somebody in such a way that just shows, I want to be generous. I want to be this kind of person. This is how I want to live. This is how I want to be known. Um, have you ever said, though, to yourself, yeah, someday, someday I'm going to be a generous person. When, when I get enough stuff, when I have enough resources, but I don't have right now, uh, then I'm going to be generous. I'm not sure that that's generosity, right? I think generous is giving out of what you currently have. That's being generous. Heard a story about a little boy. It was Christmas time, and he went to see Santa Claus and tell him what his Christmas list was. So he sat down on Santa's lap, and he was telling him, Santa, I want two bicycles. I want two remote control cars. I want two baseball gloves. And he stopped him, and he said, whoa, wait a minute. How can you want two of everything? And he said, because I'm supposed to share. Right? But being generous, I don't think it's sharing based on our overabundance. Hey, I'm either going to throw it away or give it away, so I might as well give it away and be a generous person. Being generous is giving out of what you have and letting that be it. Um, if you're going to wait till you have enough resources, you probably won't get there. Richard Foster, in his book, Money, Sex, and Power, he wrote it this way. He said, giving with glad and generous hearts has a way of rooting out the tough old miser within us. Even the poor need to know that they can give. Just the act of letting go of money or some other treasure does something within us. It destroys the demon greed. So when Jesus gets to this point and he says, if someone's suing you for the shirt off your back, probably means that's all you got. And then he wants you to be generous on top of that. That destroys something in us. It's a thing called greed and allows us to be what he's trying to lead us to be, which is generous with what we have. Heard a story about this millionaire. This guy had earned millions in his life. He was giving his testimony in church one time. And he stood up in front of everybody to tell how he became a millionaire. And he tells the story that he was down to his last dollar. He had one dollar left to his name. And he was sitting in a church service. And he was challenged by the message. And that day he gave his very last dollar to God. And since then God has blessed him. And he has had millions of dollars come his way. And everybody loved his testimony. He got done, and he sat down in the second row, and he sat down next to an elderly lady who leaned over and said, I dare you to do it again. <laughs> what does generosity look like? How are we supposed to be this way? I like this story as well. There's a, a former golfer uh, from the PGA Tour, and this guy's um, been retired for many years. His name was Roberto um, DiVincenzo. And he was known as one of the most generous golfers on the PGA Tour. He would give to other players. He would give to his fans in the stands. He would, he would give to the people that worked for him, his colleagues, his people around him. Um, he was just known for being very generous. And there was one time after he won a, a golf tournament that he was approached by somebody. 
And this lady came up to him and said, Sir, um, my daughter is dying of leukemia. Can you help us? And right away, he pulled out his wallet, and he pulled out some cash, and he gave her a substantial amount of money to help her with that. And she disappeared into the crowd. And it wasn't soon after that that one of his associates walked up to him and said, Roberto, um, that lady doesn't have a child dying of leukemia. And he said, really? Wow, that's the best news I've heard all day. What an example, right, of being generous or the spirit of generosity. And I believe that we as Christians should be the most generous people around. When they think of us as a church or they think of us as Christ followers, people should look at us and say, there's something about them. I don't get it. I want to be like that. And maybe it's because of our generosity. And I think Jesus is trying to teach us not you should do this if you get sued, but this is how you live. This is what you should be like. Now, I get it as well. Um, to be generous, we're also supposed to practice discernment, right? There's discernment that comes along with that. Being a good steward of the resources that you have is very important. And we can't give to every organization that asks. I know there's times that, that we can't give as much as we want. And there are probably some places that maybe we shouldn't give to. We have to use discernment as we do this. And understand that. But the virtue of generosity goes beyond the church. And it's not about what you give here. It's about who you are and how you live. How you spend your time, your talents, your possessions, your resources. And there's times where God asks us just to be generous to those around us. Freely you have received, freely give. That's because Jesus gave to us that we should follow his example as well. And he gave us everything. He gave us all that he had. He was a great example of this. Even when we didn't deserve it, he gave us his life. And he says, that's generosity. How can we give in such a way to others that they can come to know who he is as well? If you would, let's pray together. Father, I'm grateful for your son and his example, for his generosity, for his teaching on this as well, that we can learn that we can learn about how to give and let that be an example of who we are. Not so people can come to know us, but they can come to see you through us. God, be that for us and help us as we do that. We love you and thank you. In your name we pray, amen.